Hello, and welcome back to Think Yourself Healthy Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Barbieri. Before we dive into this episode, I just want to remind you that if you take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram, we'll send you a 15% off discount for the eight-week Retrain Your Brain program. Just take a screenshot and tag me at Heather Barbieri RDN. Thanks for listening, and let's get right to it. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of Think Yourself Healthy, I have special guest and colleague Michelle Shapiro joining us. Her and I are going to have a conversation all about body image, body, just body everything. So I'm really excited to have Michelle here. I'm a big fan of hers. I follow her on Instagram and she is a disruptor much like myself who uh, really just delivers truth bombs in a consumer friendly way to help you better understand what's going on with your body and how you can take your power back. So Michelle, thank you so much for being with us today. Heather, I'm such a big fan of yours too. I'm so freaking excited to be here today and to have this conversation in what I know you always do in a very critical thinking and nuanced way. I'm really excited to sit down with you. I love that you just said critical thinking because unfortunately, most of the United States has lost their capacity to critically think. So it's important for us to have conversations that really trigger individuals to contemplate what is my critical thinking process? Where is there potentially room for improvement? So before we dive into that conversation, Michelle, could you just tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what kind of brings you to this day for us to have this conversation? Absolutely. Yeah. So I am a functional registered dietitian, much like yourself. I am. I operate in an integrative capacity and I help clients over the past eight years. I've helped about over a thousand clients with three particular conditions, reversing their anxiety, healing their gut and approaching their weight in a loving way if they want to. And uh, the reason that I treat these specific conditions or work with these specific conditions is a, always, you know, a dietitian's tale. It's what I've dealt with myself. Right. Um, and, and really like we, we get so when we're sick, we get, or, or in any way dissatisfied, we get so eager to learn. Um, and we can so empathize and understand how other people are experiencing. So for me, my tale of my life has been a story of great anxiety, great gut issues and great weight things. Um, so in, in brevity, kind of my story is that as, as a younger person, I always grew up occupying a larger body until I was about the age of 18, maybe the age of five to 18. I grew up in Queens, New York City, like one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the entire world. And it was really diverse in ways of like spirit, race, creed, gender, everything. Like just, I, I remember being young and always thinking like, how do I make myself more unique? Cause it was always cool. Like you net, like being basic in New York is like, you know, a sin, like you can't be. So I always really wanted to be that. And, and because of that, I felt I was much more accepted. Like I had a really good life in high school. So even occupying a larger body, it wasn't like a, 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 completely game-changing experience for me. But I realized that when I was going away to college, I was going to the University of Delaware, which is like a much more homogenous place. So I was like, ooh, people aren't going to know like, oh, she's Michelle Shapiro. Like, you know, she's funny or whatever the heck I thought, you know, she, they're going to judge me from what I look like. So I, I said, I, I'm going to have to lose weight before I go to school. So sorry. Mm. So the months before school, 
I have a very black and white personality. So I was like, I am either like doing it or I'm not. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. So I adopted a, a very restrictive vegan diet and lost. And this is, I am going to issue a trigger warning here because I lost a hundred pounds in like three months, which I would wow. never recommend. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so when I went away to school, I was tremendously validated for this weight loss. Like everyone was like, you people who had known me before were treating me totally differently. Society is super validating to people in smaller bodies. It's not mm -hmm. even a, a question. So I got that part of it was, I guess, better or whatever. But the issue was I had severe Ill illness that came up as, as a result. So I had debilitating panic attacks on a daily basis that was causing vomiting, shaking, you know, heart issues. My thyroid basically shut down. And all this was happening as a result of my body being so afraid that I was going to die from mm -hmm. that weight loss, basically. And it took really the dietetic schooling I did. And then more so than the dietetic schooling, honestly, was the integrative and functional learning I, I learned after, after working with a practitioner to build myself back and my health. Mm -hmm. So I really want my clients or anyone listening to this to not do anything I did. I learned the lesson the hard way so that if someone is approaching weight to do it in a way that's psychologically self, you know, healthy and in a way that's physiologically healthy too. I love that. And I appreciate you making that note for the audience. I think that, you know, like you mentioned, we dietitians go into this typically for personal reasons. But the beauty is, is that we have the capacity to reverse engineer the process that we went through so that we can really help guide individuals towards their journey and path in a way that's going to be supportive, but most importantly, sustainable. So I appreciate Absolutely. that about you and really... You know, I just, I love, I just really love your voice. I really love the messages that you put out there. I think it's important. Um, you mentioned so many things in that brief introduction that we could literally have hour long conversations just exactly. on those specific things, right? Yeah. So right now, I think that there is just so much disconnect in, you know, specifically amongst dietitian, nutritionists, and the approaches that they're recommending to individuals. We've got individuals who are, you know, really embracing and, and preaching restriction. And then we've got the total opposite mm -hmm. where it's just love your body at all sizes. And there's consequences that unfortunately come with that approach as well. So it's really difficult, in my opinion, for the average person to kind of figure out where do I get started? Where do I make sense of all of this? So I reached out to you because you had done a post about body image, body positivity, and the good and the bad. And I was like, these are the conversations that we mm -hmm. need to be having and sharing with the public because there is so much confusion. So Kind of talk to me a little bit about yeah. that day. <laughs> you pull up your phone, you're making this post, like kind of talk to me and tell me what what prompted this? What made you say, okay, I've got to speak my voice? I can't even imagine because I post about this so frequently what day this was, but I can tell you what has led to me posting almost every time is, is the same thing anyway. So mm -hmm. right now I'm going to lay the landscape for us a little bit, like you said, and I'm just re-emphasizing what you said. There's kind of, let's call it, there's two larger camps of nutrition that are happening right now. One of them is what 
a lot of people would put under the bucket of diet culture. Mm -hmm. And one of them is what people would put under the bucket of body positivity. Mm -hmm. And there are more militant versions of people on either side. And it's funny because functional integrative mm -hmm. dietitians, I don't believe are, are like, are like smack dab in the middle because mm -hmm. we believe in, in, uh, integrating recommendations that can help with your health, but also help you psychologically at the same mm -hmm. time. So mm -hmm. I believe that I really do think functional nutrition is the answer. I know I'm biased because I'm a functional dietitian, but I really think that's the one. But right now what's happening is we're seeing kind of these two worlds and any post you see on Instagram, it almost feels like it's falling into the diet culture realm mm -hmm. or into the body positivity realm. So just a little bit of background on body positivity and, and kind of this movement and, and what's come out of it that we're seeing a lot of. So historically weight stigma has been a huge issue in society, in medical offices, in, in interpersonal relationships and getting jobs. It is pretty well studied and, and quite obvious that people experience marginalization and stigmatization in larger bodies, which to me is the most idiotic and horrible thing in the entire world. Like the fact that that happens is so stupid. And, mm -hmm. and like, if someone argues that, that's, it's not worth having a conversation. That's not even critical thinking. Right. Everyone should be treated fairly. It's not a question in, in the entire world. So mm -hmm. out of that real, you know, noticing this pain that people were experiencing and, and this loss of connection and this loss of like livelihood in some cases was born the body positivity movement. We think of it as coming in like three waves. Like there's like, we're in kind of like the third wave of the body positivity movement. There's been mm -hmm. other fat activism movements, but the one that we see most commonly now is like the intuitive, the principles of intuitive eating and intuitive eating professionals and then the health at every size practitioners. Mm -hmm. Again, the principles of health at every size and intuitive eating, anyone who's smart would agree with. They make mm -hmm. total sense. What we're seeing is this kind of other group, which is like what I would call the all foods fit group, which is a, mm -hmm. a type of practitioner who's posting them eating like Oreos and being like, you can eat anything. If Oreos make you feel good, you, you know, and this is not true for real intuitive eating practitioners or health at every size practitioners. So what I think a lot of people get wrong is they think body positivity is this thing where it's like, just love yourself and eat whatever you want. It is right. so not that it's, it's really about this huge level of respect. I think that you have for yourself, but sorry, right. I just said quite a lot, but no, it's perfect. I mean, so the yeah. other, if it fits your macros, right. That's the other, the other category exactly. that fits in there. And unfortunately, um, there are some negative, you know, consequences that are associated with this. And, you know, I just want to say one thing so that the audience has a better understanding this whole idea around body size, body image, it can get really confusing. It can get very yes. confusing. And it's because what most of society does not realize or take into consideration, and especially our conventional Western medical paradigm, is that about 30% of our energy conversion is 100% associated with the microbiome in our body. And mm -hmm. so that is a huge piece of whether or not somebody is going to be more optimal at burning fat and converting the same amount of calories that they're getting from a McDonald's hamburger. I don't know, happy. I don't know what you call it. I don't I haven't eaten out in so long. You know what I'm trying to say? Like the, the McDonald's meal versus having the, the salad that's prepared at home, right? The individual yep. who's eating the salad could be just as much at risk of 
having a more difficult time with burning body fat versus the individual who is eating the hamburger, French fries and diet Coke. It's all dependent on what's happening with the microbiome, how that microbiome is converting that energy and utilizing it within the body. And most medical professionals are not taking this into account. And so it creates a lot of stigma for the individual because they feel like they're failing. I am doing everything right. I am eating exactly like I'm supposed to. I'm doing all of the things and I'm not seeing the weight loss. And they are. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important to acknowledge is that we think that people aren't losing because they're not doing the right, right. things, but they're they're compliant. People are very compliant with That's, these recommendations. Yeah, right. go ahead. Yeah, no, to and, and I think it's yeah. important that that is emphasized because I know for myself as a practitioner, I do not judge and I do not criticize. I tell people all of the time, I am not the food police. You can eat your donut in front of me and it's not going to impact me and my perception of who you are and what your capabilities are. It does not devalue you in any way. You could eat the salad and I'm not going to sit there and put you on a pedestal and think, oh my God, yeah, look at this amazing person. Like, I don't care, right? Because this is so much bigger than what we realize. There are, there are a plethora of pillars that are contributing to our overall body composition, health and wellness and mental well-being. It's not as simple as the food that we're putting in and the exercise that we're doing. It is so much bigger than that. And it's, so I, I think yeah, yeah. I think oh, that it's cool. important that as dietitians that you and I have conversations like this to help raise that awareness so that we can drop out these stigmas that are associated with body composition and our lifestyle habits that are really keeping us stuck, that are really keeping us from being able to evolve as a society, as a collective for the better of our health and well-being, right? Absolutely. And I think this idea that I have a visual for what you're saying too, which mm -hmm. is that the the kind of like fitness bro approach is this like calories in calories out thing. When I think of like our bodies, let's think our, of our bodies like a car and calories in versus calories out is like how much fuel is in the car. But mm -hmm. if the car isn't running, it doesn't really matter how much fuel you're putting in. Right. right so it's this right. very oversimplified view. Like you're saying the, mm -hmm. your gut microbiome, all these rec regulatory mechanisms we have in our body in ways of our brain hormones, leptin and ghrelin, all of these, mm -hmm. you know, our actual genetics, all these things can influence, like you're saying the same person, can be eating one can be eating a salad and one cannot and can, can be eating a salad. It's going to influence them completely differently. So right. I think to tie in these really important points that you're bringing up too is that a lot of what happened in the body positivity movement is that people realize it is so freaking hard to lose weight using these compliance mechanisms from the medical system and from honestly dietitians historically because we didn't really know these are some of these things are newer for us mm -hmm. right. I think that people got so fed up and realized how ineffective these methods were because they are truly mm -hmm. ineffective that they just said, if they're going to be so ineffective and it's going to torture me to diet anyway, why would I diet? Mm -hmm. I think that instead people said, let me work on psychologically supporting myself with a relationship with food. And I, I think of intuitive eating or all of these principles as kind of like a a step in the process mm -hmm. versus the only game in town. So while there are dietitians who are only health at every size and intuitive eating professionals, and they will tell their clients, don't try to lose weight. It's psychologically damaging if you try to lose weight. First of all, I don't tell my clients what 
they want. I t- mm-hmm. My clients tell me what they want. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't put that. I, I put the onus of someone's health onto the client and I support them in their journey. I know you do the same Heather, obviously, but I think that with these movements, I understand, I understand this knee jerk reaction to the stigmatization, to the failure of dieting, to all these things that was like, well then just screw it because it's not going to help us anyway. And it's harming us to diet, which is also true. Mm-hmm. What I think is misunderstood is that there are things you can do. It's just not the stupid stuff from right. Western medicine that we've historically known. And, and what that is, is first, you might need to address your relationship with food, but that doesn't, the buck doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. Then you can address the physical parts of yourself. Cause I can tell you if someone has a really rough relationship with food, it might not be the right time to lose weight. It might mm-hmm. not be the right approach for them. You have to take into account what's right for the person. It, there's a season for all of these things in our lives, but it doesn't just stop because it's psychologically damaging. First, you work on why it's psychologically damaging, and then you can approach with intentional you know, health changes. Right. Absolutely. So from a mainstream media perspective, I see something that is potentially very dangerous happening. And this is where we've taken this body positivity to an extreme. And now there's a lot of, uh, I guess I I could say, how do I say this without being too restrictive? There is this whole, um, I am a white female who is thin. And so now I am being judged in a negative manner for this body composition. Am I making sense what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. I don't, but I'm going to, I'll, I'll play, I'll play ball in a critical thinking way. I don't believe, I don't believe you're being judged in a negative way. I believe that it is shocking for people to hear that other body types and races could be appreciated on the same plane and they should be. So I would say it's not about body positivity is not about dragging other people down. Mm -hmm. It's about elevating other people to the same level as others have been historically treated. So I, I would, I would actually say that I understand and empathize with the sensation you're feeling, but it's certainly not even the intention of, you know, the most radical body positivity people to pull down. I think it's just elevating up. But I don't, I would agree with you. Okay. But I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the way that this is being approached from a collective perspective and pushed it through mainstream media culture, that is not the message that is being promoted. And can you give me, give, well, not me, give listeners like a specific example. Maybe like that'll help us to draw a picture of what is going on underneath what we're seeing. So now what we're seeing is that the representation that is being promoted specifically in all media images, we're talking TV shows, TV series, movies, magazines, billboard ads, um, the list goes on and on. All of the me- you know major media outlets that everything that is being like the the idea of seeing someone as myself being represented is becoming less and less of, and it's more of the other extreme. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say? Y- yes, except I have to. I have to again. We're going to play ball, and we're yeah. always doing it out of love, and we're just yes, talking. Absolutely. This is 
I think we've, I think I've seen, I personally feel like I've seen enough thin white women to Mm -hmm. last a lifetime because Mm -hmm. I, even as a young person who was Jewish and occupying a larger body, like I, I didn't see that representation unless it was like Lori Beth Denberg and all that. And like every joke was about how she was fat. That was like Mm -hmm. an overweight Jewish person that I instantly thought of who like I love and she's hysterical. And like, that was something. So I think that's more, again, everything, what you're experiencing and is a, a very strong knee-jerk response to an extreme lack of representation. Mm -hmm. So now the people who have not had representation are having their time in the limelight. I think that's what, that would be my interpretation. Yeah. And and you are, have your own feelings. Absolutely. So what my concern is, is the fact that you said in your lifetime, you have seen enough representation in my lifetime at 46 years old. I have seen enough of that images of individuals that look like me, but the generations that are being born now and moving forward, this is where the impact is going to happen. It's going to impact the next three generations to come. If we don't shift this perspective and approach to a more completely inclusive type of circumstance rather than just, you just only don't want anyone to be squeezed out in favor of other, you want everyone to be represented. That's Absolutely. what I'm hearing. You Absolutely. What is, so, con- what's your concern about your concern is that if, if the, is your concern that what people see would influence their health habits? Is yes, that what, absolutely. Okay. So, so let's like talk for about- instance, okay. So like for instance, um, there are eight, nine year old, 10 year old children that I am aware of whom are encouraging themselves to be overweight and to have, I need to eat the cookies. I need to eat the hamburger. I need to have the soda as a way to be bigger because that's where they're getting accepted. Yes. I've never heard, I've never heard of anything like that before. Is that a real thing that happens? Yes. And it's a, and, and so last, last year I had to, for two weeks, witness this firsthand. And this is really what triggered me to have a better, interesting, a better, uh, I guess it really triggered me to have to really think about what is happening right now with this whole idea around the body positivity and how it's impacting the younger generations who haven't yeah. had the exposure and circumstances that we have, if that makes yeah, sense. So this is- yeah. So what I think would be driving younger people to be in larger bodies is, is probably our food system and our pharmaceutical mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. I think that seeing people represented who look like them shouldn't be driving those things. I'm very surprised, honestly, to hear that kids would feel like they couldn't fit in if they weren't in larger bodies. And it makes, I don't want any child to feel like they can't fit in, obviously. Right. I think that, I think that it would be looking at it's, looking at too small of that's too minute of an issue for me. And I feel mm-hmm. like people, there is a, a, a true psychological benefit to people seeing people like them in society and, and represented well on screens and all of that. I think our concern that children are having higher rates of chronic illness or is extremely substantiated. It is not my understanding, or I don't believe that the research shows enough that it's from more representation. I think it's probably because we have like a completely bankrupt and corrupt food system Mm -hmm. and that we rely completely on medication at extremely young ages and destroy our gut microbiome as discussed and things like that. That would be my guess. 
Absolutely. But I'm, I'm not negating anything you're saying. We're just talking. I just, oh, I'm, no. I'm and, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't take any offense and appreciate yeah, yeah. your, you know, your devil's advocate approach in yeah. a sense, um, because it's important. This is the way that effective conversations happen so that we can be more understanding of both sides. Now, Absolutely. back to this specific yeah. example, this yeah, individual has already been diagnosed with metabolic syndrome at 10 years old. Okay. Oh, baby. High triglycerides, yeah. high blood sugar levels, and increased blood pressure at 10 years old. And when trying to have a conversation with the individual about changing eating habits, this became a very triggering circumstance. This is what all of my friends are doing. This is how all of my friends eat. And so now what I see happening is because of the toxicity of our food system and Hell yeah. medical system yeah. with yeah. the incorporation of pharmaceuticals, um, it's really creating a lot of confusion for these younger children on where that balance is. How do they identify the balance when everyone's scared to talk about being overweight or everyone is scared to say, what are the potential consequences that could come from these particular behaviors at such an early age? Absolutely. I mean, to think of a child who could otherwise not have a lifelong responsibility to inject insulin at meals and to have a lowered lifespan. I mean, there could be nothing more devastating or frightening than this idea. And it's not something to normalize. If We should never normalize something that's preventable. Mm -hmm. That's that's the one thing we should not normalize. Right. For me, weight feels like a side effect and a symptom mm -hmm. more than it feels like a diagnosis. And I right. think that society and, and medical doctors treat it a lot like it's a diagnosis. Like obesity as a diagnosis to me is like it's it's really one part of something that's going on underneath mm -hmm. that's much more important. So I think that focusing, you know, for younger people, especially less on weight loss and like you already did on just promoting healthy habits and having to deal with the psychological landscape of what's going on with that client in, in ways of acceptance and connection in society and in ways of, you know, you, unfortunately we live in an environment that's extremely anti-metabolic and mm -hmm. extremely pro illness. Mm -hmm. And so the, like you're saying, society is favoring, I, I think what it comes down to Heather, on just like this very deep level. And I, you know, I don't know that I even speak about it in this way is that people have really, either they truly don't believe that you can reverse. They think that diabetes is genetic. They think heart disease mm -hmm. is genetic. They think cancer is genetic. They mm -hmm. truly do not believe we have the tools yet to reverse these things. And I mean, I, I can't say for every case and every state and time, but lifestyle driven versions of these mm -hmm. disease, they don't believe that we have the tools or they feel like the odds are so stacked against them. They can't do it. And that's translating into their children and the messages. So I think yeah. it's more like the parents that is my concern than like beautiful marginalized people being on TV. Yeah. You know, I think yeah. that's like, you know, absolutely. So, so yeah. to go back kind of to the initial part of this conversation yeah. with being able to clarify a little bit better, uh, my concerns yeah. is that with everything that we see happening at a mainstream level, there is so much cancel culture that has happened over the last many years, specifically the last three years, people are frightened to speak their true opinions or beliefs. They are so scared if it's not being supported right. mainstream 
So now we've got parents who are being put in positions where they don't have the best of eating habits. So they have modeled these eating habits for their children children. since birth. Now at eight and 10 years old, the metabolic consequences that they might have experienced in their late 20s, early 40s, 30s, 40s are now showing up in these children at 10 years old. And parents are frightened to have these conversations with their children out of fear that they will shame them, guilt them. It's not accepted mainstream in terms of the whole body positivity movement. You go to the doctors, the doctors have normalized all of these metabolic diseases and there is a prescriptive medication that we now have FDA approval for children. Like this is not yeah. okay. I, so, which by the way, you know that proponents of the body positivity movement were devastated by, everyone was devastated by that. The fact that they normalized the, the it, gastric... It's, surgeries for 12 year old children were absolutely soul crushing for, for everyone. So, right. So these oh, are sorry. my concerns. So these are my concerns yeah. is that yeah. what's happening from a dialogue perspective is that there is so much fear out of being able to talk to the potential health consequences that are associated with these weight gains or with being in, you know, the metabolic, um, dysfunction. So for parents or for the audience, for anyone who is yes, listening, anyone, right, listening. anyone who is listening right now, what are some tips? What are some recommendations on how That's they can question. empower themselves to start facilitating these kind of questions with their children, with their family members, with their peers? How do we go about having a productive conversation without shaming and guilting and being able to speak to prevent disease prevention. Uh, Yeah. It's a, it's an extremely, it's the right question, I guess. I was gonna say it's a great question. It's, It's just the right question. So when it comes to weight changes, you actually are the one who brought up this, imp- this incredible idea about our gut micro microbiome being, you know, in- influencing our weight inflammation influencing our weight, leptin and ghrelin influencing, like our weight being much more of focusing on the whole system than focusing Mm -hmm. on weight. I think it's very reductive and silly to focus on weight by focusing on weight. Mm -hmm. I think you should focus on influencing the system running efficiently to then influence weight. So I would say if you're approaching weight, especially with a child, no need to approach weight dead on. You're approaching the habit changes that would influence weight. And those kind of conversations are a lot easier because you're not making any sort of morality or virtue signaling or any, there's no morality or virtue about eating vegetables or a cheeseburger, you know, whatever. I'm not saying either are healthy or unhealthy, but Mm -hmm. there's no difference in ways of being a good person, like you said. So just saying, hey, we want our stomachs to feel absolutely amazing after a meal. I you know, know this amazing thing we can do. We can eat this together. Would you try it with me? Would you try this experience with me? I'd love to go on a gorgeous hike together. I think introducing these, these really special connected things and talking about how we can feel so energized and really good. I think, which mm-hmm. is the same way you would approach an adult. Anyway, I don't have clients coming to me and I'm like, all right, let's get these calories going. Like that's so, it's so non, it's, there's so much more there than just that. And I think especially with children who do have more of an inclination to make things more black and white in their head, you know, also because it's just like, you, you get more critical thinking, your brain's like, you know, your neuroplasticity is increasing as you get older. Like you have more critical thinking skills. Right. I think that 
for children, associating things as being good or bad is not the move, but just introducing ideas and, and new things, I think is, is really positive and experiencing them with children is really good. And if you're a person yourself who, you know, this is really fascinating, but I do like a little within scope nutritional take on internal family systems, which is mm -hmm. a psychological theory that it's like the movie inside out, like with the little, um, I don't know if it's a Pixar movie, but there's like a little angry part of you and a little happy part of you. And basically we have these different parts of our identity that are always interacting. So mm -hmm. what I've noticed recently is that people have, you know, if, if people have poor food behaviors, there's a lot of conversation happening before the food behavior happens. Mm -hmm. And all they're hearing is that moment when it's like, screw it, mm -hmm. you know, like screw it, forget it. I'm going to eat whatever. Right. What I want people to do is get to know the conversation before the conversation. Mm -hmm. And in the case of the kid you were talking about before the 10 year old, I would mm -hmm. also think like what I took from that is that this child does not feel connected to their peers. Mm -hmm. So that's what I actually took from that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, maybe we could do like a, a special thing to help that child feel more connected. Like you always have to walk it back to the root cause from a psychological and physiological perspective. So I would say like, get to know the different voices in your head is a, if you're an adult mm -hmm. and if you're talking to a kid, don't target weight by targeting weight, try to introduce positive food behaviors. I can tell you that children are also super freaking rebellious. As we know, we all, we all are, yep. you and I certainly are. Yep. Um, so if you tell a child to do something, the likelihood is that's not really going to work. You know, even with force, when you're not there, the, the same habit might not happen. So it's the same way you would use positive reinforcement. And, and that doesn't mean coddling. It means mm -hmm. a, a compassionate approach and explaining the science of things too. And as if you're a parent, just getting to know that information, all this is easier said than done, by the way, I'm not a parent. I, right. I I'm, this is what I would probably do with my friend's kids, but I have to say like, it's really complicated being a parent. So just know that I understand the nuance of that too. Yeah. So I love this. This is, in my opinion, I think this is a great conversation and yeah. I think we have to go back to the whole gut microbiome circumstance, okay? Don't we? Because we, yeah. we have been raising generations of children who have become germ, they fear germs, they fear being dirty. They have been so indoctrinated with antibiotic use, many right out of the womb. I can think back to 22 years ago when I gave birth to my youngest daughter, she was an emergency cesarean. And when they took her out, she had ingested a ton of the meconium, the waste, the fecal matter that was trapped inside the placenta. And so they wow. had to start pumping her full of antibiotics to try and, wow. you know, keep her healthy. And as a result of that, my poor child suffered extreme eczema, went yeah, into psoriasis, ear infection, strep throat. I mean, literally out of the womb. She was a breastfed baby for up to a year, but because of what happened immediately upon birth, this has impacted her. And now at 22 years old, she's developing autoimmune diseases and yeah. other negative yeah. circumstances that we know are directly correlated to microbiome and immune system functioning. So when we look at what's happened in society, specifically with our current generation of children, most of these kids are being raised on refined, processed, convenient foods. They are being overly treated with antibiotics. They're being prescribed pharmaceutical medications to, you know, most mostly steroids, which- How about this all day too? Yeah, exactly. and then the cell phone. 
So, you know, we know that steroids have a direct correlation on gut function and our perceived stress response. This is going to have a huge impact on nervous system regulation, which is then going to contribute to the way our mental health you know, faculties are working. We're going to be more prone to having uh, reactive behavior, anger, depression, disassociation, and all of these things are getting diagnosed as a disease that gets a prescriptive medication prescribed. And then now we have lifelong subscribers that believe they have to be on this and that there is no other way. That is the norm. Like that is, that has become the norm. And it is. And it's, it could make, it could make either of us, I mean, legitimately go insane because it's so, it's, I just, it's so unbelievable that people aren't screaming about it constantly. That's how I feel. It's just like, how are we literally not talking about this? You're talking about an actual child, a real person with a soul and their Mm -hmm. life and the trajectory of their life. And what, you feel so frustrated about that I feel so frustrated about is that I do feel like we have enough information now to, to stop this. I do mm-hmm. feel like we actually know enough, but it's the, the, the kind of, again, it comes back to these really huge political and societal and yeah. money, 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 money issues mm-hmm. um, that, that make it feel like, you know, a, a mountain to climb a lot of the time I yeah. know. And, and again, which is why in this conversation, it's so funny because to me, I'm like body positivity, this wave is so minute compared to what is really driving Mm -hmm. these issues. It's more like body positivity is like a solution that some people are experiencing to probably like, Hey, this is just what it's like. This is what it is kind of. So Mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and dealing with other systemic issues in society. So it's like, but that's, I don't, I don't feel it's like the only, it's one component for me of, the whole answer, which is that if we can learn this about your daughter's gut, we, we know what we can do to support it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like we, the more learning, that's what functional nutrition is about. You make a timeline of someone's life and you look at every single, every single part of our life Mm -hmm. influences our current health. Everything Mm -hmm. that happens to a person is important. And every single message they hear, just like you're saying, every single time they pick up their phone, everything that happened in their life creates this picture of their health. And mm-hmm. we look at our health as just a snapshot. And then we, like you said, we want to slap a medication on it or something. But I think that the the way out and through is by, I think, functional nutrition, because I love it. And I do believe it's looking at the biography of someone's life, the ecology, like their their whole being, and then making those recommendations that have to be very individualized because there's so many things that are coming at us mm-hmm. at this point. But yeah, I mean, your frustration, Heather, is very justified. It's extremely devastating. And I, wor- I worry so much about like our generation and, and the generation after us. We already see the lifespan declining. And I, right. I always think of this because like, I had autoimmune stuff going on when I was like in my early 20s too. Mm-hmm. Like it always pops up it's, like a little RA, a little something. Mm-hmm. And my parents would always be like, why, like, like my parents are super loving and awesome, but they would be like, be normal kind of. And I'm like, they're like at your age, I could like smoke cigarettes and drink all the time and be completely fine. Why are you guys like so sick all the time? Like we're like, we're not being babies. Like we have, our generation is much sicker than the generations before because we Mm -hmm. grew up on much more processed food and Mm -hmm. a much more environmentally toxic environment than our parents did. Absolutely. Well, I think it's sad because most people don't really know the history of the United States and how over the last 78 years, 
things have drastically changed. You know, I have conversations with people and they will say things like this. Well, my grandmother survived the Great Depression or my grandmother made it through World War II. And I'm like, yeah, they did. There's a huge difference between them and us. And that is they were sovereign beings. They were self-sustainable. We no longer are self-sustainable. We are 100% dependent on systems that are keeping us sick. And so we have to drop out this mindset that, well, if my grandma did it, then I can do it because we're not dealing with the same variables. My and so when I, I, re I last, when my whole COVID thing started, I really wanted to dive very deeply into adaptogens and having a better understanding of adaptogens and the potential of adaptogens. So I did a program, got certified. And when I was going through the educational process, this whole topic around World War II came up. And for mm. me, this was probably my biggest takeaway of the entire course because I was like, what the, what? How is this even possible? And how is it not common knowledge that this is how we've gotten where we are. So I was sharing with my husband what I had learned through this program. And I was expressing to him that I discovered based on this program that during World War II, the German scientists, they developed a lot of chemical products. And they were using these chemicals in the concentration camps and they were using them as, um, you know, tactics to kill other soldiers. So after the war ended, there was a surplus of chemicals in Germany that they had no purpose for. So they took these chemicals, they introduced them to the United States, and they formed two very specific industries that drive our corporations, our, our corporate America. And this is the agricultural. I don't know anything about any of this. Okay. Oh, so this is the agricultural system that we call conventional farming. This is how pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides got developed. The other component of this was the development of pharmaceutical medications. Okay. So Where, I need to, you need to send me this information. I, will, I don't know. I will. So no, here, so it gets more mind blowing, right? So at this time, prior to World War II in the United States, the U.S., had over 300 different plant medications that were recognized as medical nutrition therapy approaches. After World War II, when they developed the pharmaceutical industry and put that into action in the US, they took those 300 plants and reduced it to 20. And right now, the only 20 that are in existence are on the cutting block in legislation. They are literally trying to take those 20 away from us. What's happening is absolutely absurd. So I'm sharing this information with my husband and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe this. And he starts laughing and he says to me, you did not learn this in school? And I was like, 
Oh, what? he like learned it. In, he learned it in Italy. This is like in a thing? Italy. This is what they they literally were teaching all of the all all of the history around how these two industries were developed specifically indoctrinated into the United States. Can I just say that? And we a, have no clue. As a granddaughter of Holocaust survivors, I never thought I could hate Nazis more, but now I have a new layer of hatred that goes on right. top of it. This is this is. Wow, that's wild. I, I, I definitely, I want to. I can't believe that they're teaching this in other countries and not in the U.S. And not I definitely in the United States. I was like, this no. is absolutely devastating. Again, so point being, the so so there the are terrain. two there are two documentaries just for the the listeners if they are curious. Um, there are two documentaries on Netflix that are available that briefly go into the history wow. of these two industries. One is called Kiss the Ground. I don't know. Have you watched that one with Regenerative? No, I haven't. Okay. So Kiss the Ground, mm-hmm. I highly recommend. Everybody needs to watch Kiss the Ground. It really goes in depth yeah. into yeah. conventional practices, the the development of tilling, and then treating the soil with these pesticides, as well as genetically modifying the seeds. And then the other documentary is called Take Your Pills. And that one goes into the specific details of how the pharmaceutical industry was developed and then brought here to the United States. And wow. um, really, they targeted housewives. The, the housewife was who was targeted to get indoctrinated into uh, the prescriptive arena. Yeah, wow. so really wow. fascinating. So a combination a of these things have gotten us to the point where we are seeing 10-year-olds now that have high triglycerides, poor blood sugar regulation, imbalanced cholesterol, you know, lipid panels, difficulty with losing weight, constantly being sick. These are those generational uh, circumstances that environmentally as well as genetically have been passed along. And the problem is, is that we have a society specifically in the United States where we promote genetics over environment. And it's a way of victimizing the individual so that it takes their power away and they do not realize that they have the capacity to change the outcomes despite whatever the diagnosis and prognosis is. And I think it's important to say, even with the current food system and with the current climate, it is absolutely still possible to make huge impacts on your health, no matter where your health is. And I think that's, that's our, both of our main message at the end of the day too, is that if we didn't believe that I wouldn't be having to have these nuanced conversations about body positivity, because I'm a very mushy gushy person. I'd be on, you know, on the morality side, I'm so with it. But the part that always is hard for me is that I, we've watched miraculous healing so many times. I mean, it's not miraculous at all. It's very systematic and targeted, but we, we, we think of it as being this thing that's like impossible to do, but we see it happen all the time in clients. It's not impossible at all. Well, it's complicated, but it's possible. Totally. I think that the miraculous or the, the magic in there is with the ability to unlearn and reparent ourselves. Totally. Unlearn basically anything anyone's told you besides yourself. Yeah. I mean, I do really believe that every single person has the capacity within themselves to know what's exactly right for them. Mm -hmm. I think what's so important in the work I know I do with clients and I'm sure you do with clients is really (laughs) having people access 
the, their true inner voice. It always leads them in the right way when you're listening to yourself. You can't listen to other people. And that's the problem with all of what we're saying is we get so many messages from other places. I want to give you a really great example of what you're speaking to. Yeah. So over the last three months, all of the sudden, I'm craving orange juice like there is no tomorrow. But my body is saying not orange juice that's coming mm. out of the grocery store. You know, I could go and spend $11 on a pint of the most natural or, you know, organic orange juice that is possible for me to buy. But my body was saying, no, you need fresh oranges. Okay. Mm. So I'm going through 30 pounds of oranges a week that I am hand squeezing. Oh my God. Okay. You're getting good. You're getting good grip strength. No. Oh my God. Insane. Insane. But here's the thing. Guess what? I have freaking scurvy. By the way, I had scurvy recently too, post COVID. So, which is so here, here is, yeah. So. I, have to, I have to say one thing about scurvy really quick, which is that in dietetic school, yeah. there is such an obsession with vitamin C deficiency, like yeah. the, the whole thing, rickets and scurvy, which yeah. like you never actually think that anyone's going to get. So it's hilarious that I've, I've seen a lot of clients because you use up so much vitamin C for your liver during COVID yes. recovery. I have seen a lot of clients with scurvy and it's yeah. absolutely hilarious. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So yeah, <laughs> finally, my so knowledge is coming to life. Right. So I was facilitating a group education um, last week and I was set and I mentioned to the group that I had scurvy and there was a physician who was sitting in the audience and he was like, scurvy in my entire practice. I've never seen an individual with scurvy. And I started laughing. Like, Have you ever run vitamin C before? I, I started laughing and I was like, well, get used to it because you're going to seize a significant prevalence in vitamin C deficiencies. It's uncontrollable. And most people don't even realize that it's happening to them. And it's because, like you mentioned, with these spiked proteins, we are having an increased demand for vitamin C. And the fact that most of society is in a chronically perceived stressed state, we are blowing through our reserves of vitamin C just to metabolize our liver and our adrenals. Use just, it up like crazy. Just, yeah. Well, it's also a component to help neutralize the pH of the blood to keep the heart, lungs, and brain functioning. So as soon as we go into that perceived stress state and we're releasing cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine into the bloodstream, this is having an impact with metabolic acid production. We need magnesium. We need vitamin C. We need zinc and, and B vitamins as well as vitamin D to neutralize we don't have the resources. We don't have the no. reserves. Well, it's and deficient so, in our food. It's deficient it's, in our food supply. And then we have all the stress on top of well, it. So it's, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, what is enriched in our food system is a synthetic form, which is not as bioavailable. So many people sure. have such gut issues that any of these enriched vitamins and minerals, most of them are not being utilized, you know, with the intention that they were made from. So, and my prediction is that we are going to see massive, massive increase in prevalence of scurvy and people need to know what to look for. And this is where if we can get quiet enough and really start listening to our body, it's constantly guiding us towards what we need. And the reason that I'm mentioning this is because 
through indoctrination of diet culture, right? Mm -hmm. The thought of me pounding down orange juice nonstop all day long goes against all of the recommendations of anyone following a paleo, a keto, you name it, diet. They wouldn't be able to will themselves to honor what the body is saying. That's exactly right. Okay. That's and exactly this is right. where the problem is. This is why all of these different cultural movements that are in play when it comes to the messages around what we receive in terms of body and how we respond to it, we got to drop them out. They got to go. It's a, it's still, even if it's a sweet, nice voice, it's still another voice that's not yours. And I think exactly. that is honestly, you nailed it, Heather. And this is like, this is my main message when it comes to all of this is that, you know, I have, I'm like a, like I'm a New Yorker, right? So this is like, I, I don't, I'm not a fluff, like I'm a very loving and warm and emotional person, but I'm not a very fluffy person, Same. you know? So like, if I have a voice that's like, you're perfect the way you are, I'm like, no, I'm not. And don't talk to me like that. You know, I know immediately who my voice is. And this right. is another tool that people can use too to identify who's talking to you. Like, again, mm-hmm. the voice that's saying, Heather, please give me orange juice. That's you. Right. That's your real voice saying like, I really need you to squeeze 30 oranges yeah. for me. I need this orange juice. You'll know when it's your voice, when you get a really beautiful feeling in your gut. And I, I associate like a color coming out, like a blue or a green color. That's your real voice. If you see like mm-hmm. a red you know, start associating like aura colors with a different voice in your head to get to know who's helping you and who's not. And sometimes it could be like a parent's voice or a young version, but listen to those voices. I love that. It's, it's funny because on this topic, <laughs> my body knew I needed fresh oranges that mm, I needed fresh so good. oranges. I have literally a crate in my kitchen that is this wide, this <laughs> deep, Filled with oranges at all times. My husband, actually, he had to buy a tool. We got this commercial grade squeezer for the oranges because that is how many oranges I am going through. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. But what's funny is when my body was initially craving orange juice, my first thought was, oh, I'm going to go buy the most healthy juice that I can find in the store. And that was a task. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? There's nothing. It's just all junk. And so I found what I thought was the most suitable, brought it home, poured a glass, and then immediately my body rejected it. And so Mm. because of my liver being compromised, my senses are so increased. They're so heightened. Taste and smell is- You're you're hypervigilant through the senses almost. Taste and smell are the survival mechanisms that my body is dependent on right now as a way to minimize and reduce its exposure to any toxicity that the liver and the kidneys cannot clear. So- What is so ironic and funny about this conversation is right just recently, I think in the last two weeks or so, we're seeing all of this stuff start popping up about the PFAs in orange juice. Oh my God. The plastic. No, it's it's all the Tropicana thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And I just started laughing because I was like, man, if only the rest of society had the ability to tap into their intuitive knowing and let those 50 trillion bacteria, 50 trillion cells do their job to help guide you towards your behavior choices, we would all be in a much better position. 
But unfortunately, this is conditioned and programmed out of us. It's such an early age. Most people are suffering debilitating anxiety and depression from their own self-abandonment. And so they disassociate, they look for other coping mechanisms to bring soothing and bring relief, yep. which is why disease is continuing to manifest and increase in prevalences that we have never seen before. I think people don't have, I, I, if we had a message also for people, it's that like you literally don't understand how smart and intuitive you are and yeah. how much power you have. Yeah. I think people, I, we're talking about these dark forces that change our food system and all of that stuff. But the, the power of human spirit and of human intuition, I think is stronger than all of that. And mm -hmm. I, I really, really actually believe that. Mm -hmm. And that's where the magic again, of all of this comes in is that, you know, any work that I do with a client is how do I get you to listen to your voice? I don't, it's not Amen. about, Oh, eat some Brussels sprouts. Like it's not, that's yeah. so, it's so not the game. The yep. game is like, you already freaking know. I know it's so hard for people to understand, but like, you really know it. I promise you, you really know it already. You just got to pull it out. Yeah. And then when you do, you'll know it doesn't like your knowledge of orange juice and vitamin C wasn't what drove you to that. It was the fact that your body really knew what it needed yep. and communicated to you. Yep. Through, like you said, through taste, through smell, through these things, like your body is constantly communicating with you. And I, and I, I work with a lot of clients with anxiety. It's one of my favorite mm -hmm. things to talk about and, and work with. And, and so much of anxiety is about ignoring. It's not, it's not even well, its own feeling. It's an ignoring of a different feeling. Well, That's okay. what anxiety is. Okay. I want to go here because as a yep. young child, I suffered immense digestive issues. I constantly complained about stomach aches, vomiting, nausea, never feeling good. And so I would express to my mom, she would take me to the doctor, the doctors would examine me, and then here is what I would be told in return. <sighs> it's all in her head. We can't find anything wrong with her. I have there is nothing this. wrong with her. So guess what the solution was? The solution was to That's start medica medicating me at 11 years old for anxiety and depression. I had my first in hospitalization at 15 years old. I managed my anxiety by pulling my hair out. I would literally sit there and, and pull my hair out as a coping mechanism for the debilitating anxiety that I had at that point been medicated for four years now with, right? And so for me, what transpired as a result of this, my body intuitive, intuitively knew environment mm -hmm. is not okay. Here's the warning signs to let you know that you are not safe in this environment. Exactly. I express this to the authorities and then the authorities gaslight and tell me it's all in my head. So what this did was it created a intrapersonal relationship of distrust. I no longer could listen to narrative. intuitive knowing and allow it to be my guiding factor. So all mm -hmm. self-trust went out the window. Secondly, all trust of authority went out the window because of the gaslighting and then being told that it was all in my head. Now I don't feel safe and I have no one to express this to. So it created a time bomb that led me to drug use as a way to ultimately cope of course. because nothing else was working.
I needed to disassociate it. I needed some relief. And this actual, an actual something to literally make you feel better. You got it. You got it. And so this is all too common, the norm for most people. And this is where we have to start dropping out these inherited belief systems, these, you know, these learnings that have been passed down to us because they're keeping us from being able to really tap into our true power and our true, true potential. And the reason this happens, the the reason this happens like you in your story that I'm, I'm really glad you shared with me too, is, is the reason it happens is because our body is constantly assessing Mm -hmm. for threats and constantly assessing for ways to keep us alive. So your body's way of keeping you alive was let's make sure that we don't harm ourselves by listening to ourselves or listening to other people, Mm -hmm. which left you in in nowhere's land, really, you know, no man's land, because there was no there, like you said, there was nowhere for you to turn. So I think that addressing that, go ahead. I just want to mention that's the trauma. That's the actual trauma is the fact that there was no outlet for me to emotionally express. And all of that had to be stuck inside. Well, it makes the freeze response happen. That's what, and and we know there's more, it's not like there's a perfect science to it, but there are potentially more favorable responses that result in maybe like less long-term trauma. Like it's proposed that maybe the fight response has like a little bit of a better entity. But if you were unable to fight in the moment, then it's very possible that you end up in that freeze response. So we're all kind of picking up on so many like these things that could be, we call them like big T for big trauma or Mm -hmm. like micro traumas that again, it's not so much even about the situation, but about us either ignoring ourselves or feeling ignored. That Mm -hmm. is just so essential to our identity and so essential to our feeling of safety that we just, we just miss the mark on so much. And I, I, I think people are so, so right. And I wish that you, you would have had the opportunity as the mm-hmm. 11 or 15 year old version of yourself to be able to self-actualize and, and realize how powerful you were then. Cause you're just as powerful then I'm sure as you, you are right, now, you know, right. so it's, it's that, that's our, I guess that's our great wish for people mm-hmm. is that they are, are able to know and access their own power and intuition. Yeah. So with continuing this specific topic, so yeah. as a dietitian, I definitely, uh, from straight out of school and having a registration, I was yep. already function. I was already practicing more of the functional integrative approach, focusing on gut health as early as 2008, 2009. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of evidence-based research, specifically here in the U.S., to validate the claims that I was making. Right. And the the specific recommendations I was urging clients towards. So this alienated me within my profession because my colleagues and my mentors would be like, you're telling your clients this. Like when I recommended you need to eat fat to burn fat. They're like, like, you need to eat red meat or something. What? Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God, Heather, you know, I can't believe that you're doing this. But. From the get-go, I had always this very intuitive voice that was guiding me towards these uh, recommendations that were very successful. So a couple years ago, I was reading a book, and the book is entitled The Way of Integrity by Martha Beck. 
And Martha Beck made a statement in this book that was so profound and validating for me. It made me just completely embrace my intuition and say, say, fuck everything else. I am trusting in this. And this is the only way. So what she goes in to explain is that we are so indoctrinated into an educational institutional system that has bias. And these bias become the facts that we use as the evidence-based research for the recommendations that we are promoting. Okay. So she goes on to tell her story about how she just had these knowings and she didn't really know exactly how to prove them, but she knew that this was the approach that needed to be taken. And she, you know, she's a PhD. She's all kinds. She, I don't, I think she has like five different uh, doctorates behind her. And so she kept getting doctorate after doctorate to try and validate being able to find the evidence that she needed to be able to speak to these specific things. And then I think it was after her like fifth one, she finally realized this has nothing to do with education and evidence-based research. And it has everything to do with us having the ability to trust our knowing. But because society doesn't promote that and we are so conditioned and programmed otherwise, this is a problem. We have created a monster that is consuming us. And now we're it, we're at a evolutionary point in humanity. We're, we're at a, we're at a timeline where things need to shift very quickly or else there will not be a society to support. Yeah. It's, it's, we're coming up on some of the like, I mean, children being sick at these rates at these young ages is is unseen, I'm assuming. Well, you know, uh, short of, I mean, it, let's call it when there's countries who have resources, because it's absolutely untrue for countries who do not have resources, because there's children who are extremely ill and they'll, you know, and much more so. It's when people do have the resources mm-hmm. to be healthy, I think, and to be alive um, and to survive and thrive, I think is, is this is probably a, a very startling phenomenon compared to any other moment in history. I, I would, I would assume I can't, I mean, not that I have an understanding of every year in history and, and anything like that, but yeah, I, I, w- I would say so too. Sure. I think um, for the audience listening, if they want to dive deeper into uh, having a better understanding of the evolutionary process that we're currently in Greg, Dr. Greg Braden, he is an incredible incredible resource. And then also Dr. Bruce Lipton is another really incredible resource. The two of them together, they're phenomenal. Um, They really have a great way of articulating the facts, the truth in terms of what we're experiencing. But back in August of 2020, it was either 20 or 2020 or 2021, I interviewed a guy, his name is uh, Sal Raquel, and Sal had written a book called Life on the Cutting Edge that I had gotten my hands on, and he wrote this book, I want to say it was like 2000, early 2000s when the first edition released, and it predicted exactly what we are currently experiencing mm. almost 
to an exact T. Like it's I'm assuming using science as opposed to like mediumship. It was like science. So it's both. To predict. It's both. Oh, wow. That's cool. Okay. It's both. That's really cool. So um, I had the opportunity to interview him and speak with him. And one of the main things that we talked about in that interview was how immune system function and nervous system regulation is going to be the death of humanity. And that we are going to see a majority of the population die from immune consequences because their nervous systems cannot handle the vibrational frequencies in which we are experiencing. And so it's really awesome to now go back and reflect on that conversation and, and, and look at all of the things, the specifics of that conversation, what we talked about and how we see it playing out in real time right now in the United States. Well, actually worldwide, it's not just the United States, it's worldwide. And so again, this is taking that intuitive information that we are gifted with, that we all have access to, that's stored in the DNA of ourselves, that we receive from our environment through the light and sound frequencies that activate and trigger this information to turn on. And then it presents itself through our six senses. That is how we have the ability to really start to learn how to trust ourselves and use our own inner guidance um, as a way to navigate our health and well-being. And so I appreciate being able to have this conversation with you today to help encourage others to develop and nurture these gifts that they already have, right? They have it. They they already have it. So as a professional whom thinks outside the box and is a critical thinker and encourages others to do so as well. Can you give the audience three tips, your three non-negotiables when it comes to really helping to develop that stronger bond, that healthy body positivity, so that we can really use that as our guide to health and well-being? Absolutely. Yeah. I would say number one, and I know I mentioned it, but I have to, I have to say it again, is just access and understand your own voice. And that's how you will strengthen it by listening, acknowledging, and accepting those different voices that come up, understanding that every voice that we have inside of our head is there to protect us. But there is one true authentic voice who is the us voice and really get to know and harness that voice. I think that's one of the most important things we can do. Mm -hmm. I think it's also really important. I guess my number two would be notice how you're experiencing practitioner relationships. So again, we, we do go to, there's time and a place to go to doctors and and practitioners. Uh, Of course, I believe dietitians and and all these things, not even a question, but notice how you're feeling when you're interacting with those practitioners. And if the information you're integrating is also sitting right with you. So Mm -hmm. preparing yourself mentally, physically, spiritually for those appointments, I think is so important. And on that same wavelength, just be conscious of all the information you're consuming, whether it be from a really like virtual virtuous idea that we're all inherently worthy and, and body positivity and all these amazing ideas, or if it's from something that's like more restrictive calorie counting, something like that, just notice how you're feeling when you're consuming 
content. I think that's mm-hmm. so important. And then I think another way that we can increase our health that's outside of just, I'm not giving any specific nutrition recommendations. I would say is just doing reflective measures and tracking on how you're feeling, using journaling as a tool to notice what's going on inside of your body and inside of your brain. I would say those are my top three for anyone getting started on any health journey is, and, and to try to really understand yourself better. I absolutely love these tips. And to speak specifically to that last one you just gave, yeah. I was uh, having a follow-up with a client that we you know, came up with some goals to start strategizing. And so during the follow-up conversation, I presented the question, how difficult have these changes been for you to implement on a consistent mm. basis? And the individual says to me, well, really hard. It's really, really hard. And I said, okay, well, let's problem solve. Let's talk a little bit to what is making it so difficult. So ultimately this individual's main priority is weight loss. Okay. They just want to lose weight. They want to be able to, and I never approach anything with weight loss in mind. I always say it's just a secondary, you know, consequence. It's a side effect effect of the things that we really need to do to get to the root. So anyway, so I said to her, well, let's, let's think about this in a different way. I said, how have your energy levels been? Mm. How have your moods been? Have they been more stable? And so we're going through an inventory of all the actual benefits that she has been receiving from engaging in these behaviors consistently. So when I presented it that way to her, It allowed her to emotionally invest and have more value in the desire to continue moving forward with consistency around these behaviors that she just was perceiving as being very difficult. And then when we shifted the perspective to all of these benefits, all of a sudden, it wasn't difficult anymore. It was like, wow, this is actually amazing. And she felt so liberated and empowered to keep staying consistent and slowly moving forward with additional uh, behavior changes. And so that was really exciting. Congrats, first of all, to you and your client. And and I think it's really, we kind of like gaslight ourselves with chronic illness journeys and we're Uh like, you're not any better. And you know, it's, it's our fear that we won't ever get better, of course. And so it's, it's so important to reflect when you're on this health journey Mm -hmm. too, because you want, you don't want to gaslight yourself into thinking that nothing is is going right. And to you know focus and experience the gratitude. I I just had a very similar conversation with a client who was, was in a, a really bad medical place. Um, and when we first started working together and I, the way I work with clients, I'm sure you're the same, but I have many clients who have worked with for over a hundred sessions. My mm-hmm. clients are like for five years kind of clients. Like same. I really, same. really know my clients. Those are, and, and that's the most important part of the therapeutic relationship is that you just know someone and your mirror neurons are firing. That's such, it's so healing yeah. to sit across from someone who knows you. And this client was saying, you know what, Michelle, I just, I wish I could just be normal at this point. And I was like, well, I'm going to tell you something. You're about 75% more quote unquote normal than you were when we first started working together. And she was like, oh yeah, I was like, you know, talking about, you know, eating fast food or something like that. Like mm-hmm. where once in a while, like I, it's not been a thing for her that she's ever mm-hmm. eaten fast food. And I was like, you know, now you're randomly eating fast food. Let's say it's once a month or something. And I'm like, 
the luxury of you not basically being sick for months from that, like the fact that we're having a conversation about little behavior changes in your diet and not about you not being able to get out of bed for five days is such a luxury. Like I'm so happy that we're talking about stupid diet changes at this point. Like that's, that's how, you know, when you stop thinking about something and then you're like, Oh, you know, I'm like, is it hard? I'm like, exactly. Like the, it, what you were doing before and living in pain was so much harder and, mm-hmm. and, it's so it's so amazing how we forget when we were which is a good thing we want to forget when we were in pain but we forget right Right? yeah and so in my opinion i think that the body the body positivity conversations that we really need to be nurturing and encouraging are exactly these conversations speaking to all of these changes not necessarily what's happening in a body composition perspective we really need to focus on all of the benefits that we are receiving even though we may not be seeing that reflect in a number on the scale or a percent right, of which body is what fat the body positivity crew calls non-scale victories right. that's the yep. that's the exact yep. phrase they would use. it's yep. it's it should always be about celebrating your health. Like any really good practitioner doesn't just do weight loss. Like right. You obviously have to focus on the hormonal and metabolic, you know, weight picture. Loss, weight loss is so 80s. <laughs> It's so, it's so ridiculously uncool. Yeah. So no one cares 80s. about that anymore. Yeah. It's, yeah. And that's the point is, is that it's, it was before we knew the abundant science that we have now. Right. We have enough. We're like, yeah, no, no awesome practitioners, super diet culture anyway. They're not right. going to be like that, you know, but yeah. it's, it's, it's really about taking the best of all of these things and integrating them into your own voice. I think. Yeah, for sure. Here, I'm going to leave the conversation with this one fun fact. So last year, yeah. I, last July, I had gone to my integrative practitioner and, um, I stepped on the scale and <laughs> The scale was up 25 pounds from where I had been six months prior to me going in. And he started bashing me. Basically, he's like, you're a dietitian. Well, clearly you're not preaching what you are. You're not. I wish you recorded that. I would have put that on the internet. You are not practicing what you preach. And he just kept going on and on and just, he just kept literally telling me basically that I was lying to him and that behind the scenes, I was just pounding down Oreo cookies with diet or with Coca-Cola. Okay. And so I didn't take it personally. I laughed. I was like, this is, this is so cute. This is so cute. And um, ultimately I knew I had SIBO. I knew I was like, I've got SIBO. I know SIBO is part of this equation. And that's all I wanted him to do was to just run the SIBO test. Right. And so in the end, it came back that I had SIBO. And so I went back to him and in the follow up after I had, you know, gotten his recommendations of everything that he had wanted me to do, he still continued to go in on the fact that there was no way in hell I was not binge eating all the undesirable foods and just not being honest about it. It was so comical. I was like, but here's the problem. For the average person, this would be detrimental. Like I mean, that's, this- that's, you want to talk about, no, no, let's use the word you use before to describe when someone dismisses you and ignores you. Yes. That's trauma. Yeah. And if you're being looked at as not only as a person who's lying, but as a person when you're in a larger body to be looked at as a bad, lazy person, can you imagine the trauma that that causes yeah. when you're going to someone for help? 
Yeah. When you're going to someone because you're scared and that's the response you get and they ignore all their medical issues so, in favor of talking about weight. And I'm sorry you had that experience. I know for you, it's, it wasn't too impactful. It sounds like, but it's a horrible experience that no, you had. But what horrible. it did do was encourage me to get a different provider. And also yep. it also just brings more awareness to the fact that we can't just lean into titles. This individual is a functional integrative practitioner. Okay. Wild. And so unfortunately, and obviously that was part of the draw of why I initially wanted to see this individual because he's integrative and functional and it's, you know, a little more challenging to find those providers. But the point is, is that yeah, just because a person has a specific title or identifies themselves within this realm, doesn't necessarily mean they are a good fit for you. No. And that's, by the way, two of the, it's funny because a lot of what we talked about today is like, of course, the work that I do and we do such similar work, yeah. but I, I made a, a company called wellness map where people, and I just, I just turned into free. I'm not sure what I'm, I, I don't know if it's going to be a paid for or free membership by the time mm -hmm. this airs, by the way. So I, I will, I'm playing with it a little bit. Um, but it's basically for people to what to do to prepare yourself to go mm -hmm. into medical appointments. If it's a prevent, if it's a, you know, conventional or a functional doctor and a, a list of all of my favorite practitioners that I know from I love that. everywhere. Um, and then also access for people to get functional lab testing at discounted costs. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times if someone just wants like a Dutch test or something, mm -hmm. I, I basically have made a hack so that you can get a Dutch test and it read to you by a practitioner with interpretation without you having to sign up with the practitioner for months at a time. Love that. Um, so I, I made all these systems because of this exact mm -hmm. experience people were having and we address weight bias in it. So that's called wellness map. But if you go to my Instagram, you can see that. And the other funny thing is I just made a podcast too, and it's called quiet the diet. And it's literally about how do you make everyone else's voices lower so you can hear your own, which is ah, really, really, I fun. love that. I love that. Well, Michelle, it's truly been an honor to have you on oh today God, and so to fun. be able to have this conversation. And I'm really, really, um, just excited for the work that you do, the messages that you share and moving forward, you know, I'd love to stay in touch and have more of collaborations. Course because we are so much on the same page and, and, yeah. and really ultimately it's about empowering people. It's about That's empowering exactly right. people to be their own healthcare advocates so that they can ensure their pathway to longevity and vitality to whatever degree they desire. Exactly. Heather, I cannot thank you enough. This was such we re like a, a real and deep conversation, which I would expect nothing less from you, of course. And, and I'm so grateful you had me on and, and I can't wait to re-listen when it comes out. It's so exciting. So, Thank you so much. Please share with the audience how yeah. they can connect directly with you. What's the best way to reach out to you? Yeah. So, um, my Instagram is Michelle Shapiro RD. Um, my Gmail is Michelle Shapiro RD. I of course can't answer like specific medical questions or anything, right. but shoot me a DM. And if it's just like a general question, of course I can answer. Um, I can never give medical advice. I'm a dietitian. I mean, nutrition advice. Um, and then my new podcast just dropped quiet. The diet is, um, and also the links of all that are on my Instagram too. And if you want to join our currently free community, um, you can also go to quietthediet.com. Awesome. Well, I will make sure to link all of that in the show notes so it makes it easy for the audience to connect with you. And again, thank you so much for your time, energy, and expertise today. It's truly been an honor to have this conversation and I hope we can have more. Thanks for listening to the Think Yourself Healthy podcast. Do me a favor. And if you loved this episode, please go leave a review. Reviews help make sure that this content reaches more people so that we can continue to heal as a collective. 
Remember to take a screenshot that you're listening and tag us on Instagram at heatherbarbierryrdn for a 15% discount on the Retrain Your Brain program. See you next time.